This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. All right, guys. So before I get started, um, I obviously want to introduce you to uh, the panel. And, and first off, I'll start introducing to uh, Ian Golding. So he is the Global Customer Experience Specialist and Customer Experience Consultancy, LTD. And actually, just last week, Ian was rated the number one CX influencer in the UK, according to Customer Experience Magazine. So congrats to you, Ian. Uh, next up, we have uh, Lewis Taylor. He is the VP, Head of Global uh, customer experience and Austin site lead at Dropbox. He focuses on the global support and customer experience. So welcome, Lewis. Uh, number three, we have Jeb Destiel. He is the owner of Destiel Consulting. He focuses on advising chief customer officers and helping organizations develop or refine their customer strategy. Prior to his current role, though, Jeb spent 21 years at Oracle, and I believe 12 of those being the chief customer officer at Oracle. So uh, welcome, Jeb. And then last but not least, Anton DeWitt is uh, the Chief Client Officer at NetBank RBB. And he has also has an impressive tenure at NetBank coming up on 23 years. And uh, he just passed, uh, as of Saturday, his CCXP. So congratulations to you, Anton. Thanks, Nick. Uh, so to the panel, I'm going to do my best to make these questions around Robin, but um, as, as the experts, feel free to jump in at any time to add additional value where you guys see fit. And like Gabe mentioned, everybody else joining in, uh, we set some time for you to ask questions. So uh, be writing down your questions throughout the conversation and uh, feel free to, to drill these guys with questions because uh, they are the experts. Uh, so let's kick off uh, right at the beginning. Uh, we'll start with you, Lewis. Uh, customer experience isn't just one thing. So what does customer experience mean to you? Wow, that is an awesome question. And I get asked that quite a bit. Um, so it's really exciting to actually get this out in, in a larger forum. So absolutely, it's not just one thing. There are so many touch points in a customer's journey in their life cycle with you that... Um, it just means so much from how you market to them, how you're selling to them. Uh, what does that mean post-sale when you now have that customer on board? Um, and I like to liken it to um, there's this journey or life cycle where we own a customer from cradle to grave. Now, as CX professionals, we all know sometimes we don't own or we're not um, directly uh, responsible or accountable for some of those pieces but we influence those pieces. So there's just so much more to the customer experience than just one thing. It is all about that customer journey and that life cycle. Yeah, 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Ian, do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, well, well, as you know, Nick, I always love answering questions like this. And, and it's always interesting to hear a leader's perspective on what customer experience really means. And I completely agree with you, Lewis. The, the even simpler way that I articulate what customer experience encompasses is that it, it is everything that an organization does that enables its customers to interact with its products and services. Um, that, that is the simplest way that I can articulate what customer experience is. And another way, an alternative way, just to give people food for thought, is more of a strategic way of thinking about customer experience that I was taught many, many years ago when I worked for the, the giant that was General Electric. And when Jack Welsh, not didn't teach me directly, but I learned in the Jack Welsh era, the mantra of what they called find, win, keep. And that strategically, business is all about finding new customers, winning their business, and keeping them for as long as possible. And essentially, that's what customer experience is all about. Ian, I thought that Jack uh, taught you this entire time. So well, I got to go back and tell everybody else that I was wrong. <laughs> I like to think maybe he learned something. No, I'm, I'm kidding. No. He had a huge influence on my career, and, and that's why I always have to mention him. Nice. Uh, well, Jeb, I'm not going to leave you um, with the with the easy answer. I'll start getting into the meat of the conversation. But uh, we say that organizations need to listen to their customers. But are CX professionals listening to the C-suite? Uh, that's a great question, Nick. So if you're, if we're talking about our C-suite, I think the answer, honestly, is not so much. I, I think we tend as a profession to come across as very process oriented. And that concerns me a little bit. I, I think it's up to, up to us to translate the organization's business objectives into very, very specific strategies um, and, and actions with, with measurable results. The, the other thing I guess that I would say too, is that I, I think there's generally a lack of alignment between a CX team and the CEO. And the advice that I tend to give is that we all in this profession need to step up and really pursue new strategies and prioritize projects in a thoughtful way that will really drive results for both our customers and for us. And, um, and I, I don't think there's really effectively any other way to create the right alignment that, that I'm sure we all want. Um, the path here, I think oftentimes, at least in my experience, is that you have to start with taking on something that maybe you don't want to do. Maybe you're feeling like, really do, doing some strategizing first and foremost. But I think what we, what many of us need to do is build street cred with the executive team before we really can, in a way that can be really effective, get things done. So I, I, and what that means to me really is built about building rapport with sales and with marketing, especially, but, but, but certainly with the, with the C-suite and the COO, the CEO and the, and the chief financial officer, that's critical. Um, and, and you know what that, that can, that can mean in tactical terms is just, hosing down the burning platform that in fact might be a, you know, a significant customer issue or a deal gone bad or working with marketing to execute you know, something really innovative in terms of a, um, an engagement program. Yeah, good stuff. Lewis, what are your thoughts about building the street cred uh, with this conversation? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with Deb more. I, um, I, I think it's all about aligning first on what do you want the customer experience to be as an organization first? Yeah. Uh, to building an effective strategy and not a strategy that sometimes as CX leaders, we know what's best, 
And we just go off and we we start building a strategy and then we go want to execute on it. And it's not aligned with uh, where the C-suite wants to go or it's not, it doesn't exactly align where the company's going. So making sure we're marrying our strategy and the strategy of the company and they're completely lockstep. The other piece that I, I found having a lot of success for me and Jeff touched on it, which is being 100% aligned with sales and marketing because CX is going to be that, that glue to kind of make everything fit very well. But if you're 100% aligned with sales and marketing, when you are going to the C-suite to uh, talk about your strategy and, and get the resources you need to actually fulfill that strategy, it makes it a lot easier if you're already aligned with the sales and marketing organization because that means your goals are completely lockstep. So that's a, a, a an approach I love to take when I'm when I'm pushing for something new in in CX. One, make sure it's aligned with sales and marketing, and two, make sure it's one hundred percent aligned with the goals and the direction the company's going. Yeah, I've I've heard those sales and marketing uh, people can be real real pains in the butt. So uh, watch out for those guys. Uh, Anton, uh, what does the CFO, CCO, and CEO care about? Uh, in regards to customer experience, what what do they really want? So Nick, thanks for that. I think the shortest answer is they want results. Um, and I find they want results out of what can feel to them as a pretty messy framework. So I think when we talk amongst ourselves, we get very happy and confident that we know what we're talking about um, in, in a CX language. Um, and I think that from that, those executives quite often, they can give you, they can quite honestly get quite irritated by that. Um, and I think what they're looking for is, is simple questions like, show me where we're, where we're leading in client experiences and how am I going to know that we are leading the benchmark? Um, and even more importantly than that, if we're leading in this particular space, where's the market share gains coming from? And conversely, if we're not leading, you know, what are the problems? What are we going to prioritize that's going to give us the biggest fix to greatest effect? Um, so, you know, at, Bottom line is they're wanting results and they're wanting them more deliberately from something a little bit more scientific. Um, I think they can feel preached to at times. Um, and I think it can come across um, as quite frustrating from their point of view where, you know, you've got these CX professionals talking CX strategy and wonderful words. Um, there's an appreciation, you know, certainly if I talk for, for our organization, there's a strong appreciation from the top down um, of the importance of client experience. But there's if I may put words in his mouth, I would say there's irritation that um, the framework is far too messy. Um, they need to make sense of what we are saying. Um, and they need to have a very deliberate answer in terms of what does this all mean? Where are the measures that matter? How do I know that I'm winning? And if I'm winning on this particular score, how does it translate in terms in, into market gains? And then if it isn't, what are you going to do about it? Um, and where it is, you know, why aren't we getting more of these gains. If it really matters, then show me. Yeah. Show me, show me the ROI, show me the money. Uh, I, I, I always talk, talk about when it comes to customer experience, the, the problem is, is our organization talk about the pixie dust and fairy tales. And yeah. you, you said it's great that people are presenting the, the big words and the, and the fluffy things about customer experience, but it's not really, it doesn't sound like what, what the C-suite really cares about. And, uh, Jeb, you kind of talked about uh, business outcomes. Uh, what are your thoughts about this question? 
Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I love what, what Anton said about framework. And in fact, I think more often than not, at least at least in, in my discussions with, with uh, chief customer officers, there's most of the time not a framework, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And, and that lack of a framework really means that you're not sufficiently well-informed in terms of how to engage with the rest of the organization. And maybe even more importantly, I would say definitely more importantly, don't have kind of the guardrails and the things <clears> that you need to help prioritize what you do next, what you do first and what you do second and third. Yeah, I think we'll talk about a little bit about uh, priority here in a little bit. But um, Ian, when it comes to, you know, a lot of companies have the directors of, of VP and uh, our director or VP of customer experience, but don't have that chief customer officer or the, the seat at the, the C-suite table. Um, mm-hmm. So these middle management uh, organizations or professionals kind of struggle to deliver that, the right information to the top exec. So Kind of going what Anton and Jeb said, what advice would you have for customer experience professionals in that in that mid-market? Because I think there's a lot of CX professionals in that mid-market. Well, I have to say, if I if I nod my head any more vigorously with everything everyone's saying, my head's going to fall off. Yeah. Um, we I, might, have, might have to put <laughs> discussion protocol. Absolutely. I'm in vehement agreement with everything that I've just heard Jeb and Anton say. Uh, and in fact, I, I've been saying for a very long time to the, the profession that we need to stop over-conceptualizing and focus on the the how, not the what, the how. Whether or not organizations are applying the principles of customer experience well is a different matter. But businesses and leaders, they know what this is. They understand the fundamentals of what customer experience is. What they don't necessarily understand is the science, as Anton rightly described it. And um, yes, there is a science behind it. And the CXPA has been fundamental in defining the competencies that have established what we do as a profession. But there is what I've always called a seventh competency. The seventh competency being our ability as professionals to influence, guide, counsel, um, to apply diplomacy, to enable leaders to recognize that becoming sustainably customer-centric doesn't have to be difficult, but there is a huge amount of confusion. And the confusion is usually down to a lack of understanding and education. Um, As customer experience professionals, we have got to be exceptional at communicating. We've got to be out there in front of leaders, continuously talking to them, explaining to them, not the what, but the how. And to Anton's point, all those little wins, those little gains that in isolation might seem small, they all add up and we've got to ensure that there is continuous momentum. And it might mean that there are times where we come across as really quite irritatingly annoying because we're constantly chipping away, but we've got to be chipping away at the progress that's being made. What we can't keep doing is over obsessing with what CX actually is. Sorry, I I get rather over um, uh, uh, effusive when I start to talk about this. But that diplomacy point, I just don't think as a profession we're investing enough time in how to be influencing upwards. Yeah. Ian, you don't sound professional or uh, not professional. You don't sound passionate at all. 
<laughs> you just seem like you're you're just monotone and, and not excited about this. Uh, keep keep being you, um, Lewis. What are your thoughts about um, educating and providing insight to the middle market? Well, first, Ian said it so well. I'm, I'm not going to be able to add much, but as CX professionals, we're often very very passionate about the the customer experience. And we're so passionate that oftentimes when we get in the room, the passion transcends um, so far out that we do tend to turn people a lot off a little bit. So what we've got to really do is come in with, and I agree on the how, like here's what this is, is this plan is going to look like. Here's where we are today. Here's what it's going to look like tomorrow. And be very driven towards your cross-functional organizations and make sure you have buy-in with them as you're approaching the C-suite. That makes it a lot easier for you to have success at that level. But we have to be careful about um, coming in and just saying customer experience, customer experience, customer experience. We need to be more deliberate about what we're actually going to do and what that translates into for a success model for the business. And, and I love that some of the conversations that we had prior to this event was how you communicate, not just up and, and to your peers, but but uh, lower too. Can you get maybe into that without sharing any any trade secrets? <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. So uh, we um, we today look at our organizations as one big unit. And I know that sounds really simple, but. Um, what I like to think of is product, and I, I call them the big three, product and engineering together, marketing and sales. And those, I have to make those leaders my best friends, mm-hmm. absolutely my best friends. And when I do that, then what I'm doing is I'm making sure that I'm talking to them about the things and in the language they understand that makes sense and what's good for you out of this whole program versus just coming in talking about a blanket CX program and then making them a part of the process. So I invite all of those cross-functional leaders to come and spend time with CX, come and see what we're doing. And then in addition to that, it is all about getting them the voice of the customer. So it isn't just my perspective, I'm actually telling you and showing you what the customers are saying and I've done the work for you. I've, I've, I've put those in categories for you. I've, I've pulled out the bold statements. I, I've given you what potential impact could be if we solve some of these problems that the customers are saying. But I need to feed you in the language and the understanding where you will want to take ownership of your piece of the pie. Because customer experience, we, we like to think as CX leaders, we own it all. We own the journey end to end. But we can only influence probably less than half of that. The rest of it, we're often relying on cross-functional groups for our success. So the key is buy-in. Could I just add something, Nick? Yeah, go ahead, man. It's being really irritating. Just to to absolutely, again, support what Lewis is saying, I think the the really important thing is that the – and this is based on my opinion and what I've observed – The best customer experience professionals in the world are the ones who exist for the benefit of the organization. 
It is not about them. And they will do whatever they can to enable the organization to become more customer centric. And, and that means you do things that won't necessarily make you popular, won't necessarily, you know, enable you to, to get a big job title. But that's not what this is about. You know, ultimately, this is about doing the right thing for the organization. And, and I think in a roundabout kind of way, that absolutely supports what Lewis is saying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I had a question on, just to follow up with what Lewis was saying, is you, you mentioned talking it to talking to those department heads in their language, and and I'm going to give you a little bit of an easy answer. Maybe it's complicated, but what's the risk of of not uh, telling them or giving it a clear and, and making those bold words uh, in their language? Yeah. So I um. I, I think there's a huge risk in that. One, I think for customer experience professionals to be truly successful, you have to have the cross-functional support um, of all of the teams and especially the big three. Um, so you absolutely have to speak in their language, number one. You absolutely have to show them what's in it for them and then ultimately what's in it for the company and ultimately what's in it for the customer. Even though we know as CX professionals, we come in a lot of times and we tout customer, customer, customer. Well, sometimes that's not received very well either. So it needs to come down to a three-phase approach. What's in it for you? What's in it for the company? And then what's in it for the, for the customer? And ultimately the customer benefits from that. Yeah, and I, and I think one other thing that we can talk about here coming up too is what what is in it for the person that you're trying to influence? Like, what are their business objectives? And how are you going to align their objectives with with what their pain points are? And then uh, going going back to what what Jeb was talking about, lining it always back up to business objectives. So um, I love that. So Anton, how do you measure client or or customer experiences? So we've got, uh, you know, the very traditional one, what we did a, a couple of years ago is we just try to narrow it down to using Net Promoter Score as at least a common language, a single measure that we could get the whole organization rallied around. Um, and we have these annual measures that do the benchmark relative to competitors in that space. And we've seen quite a nice trend line um, over a couple of years, um, how that score has at least improved. But we all know it's not about the score itself. It's about what the underlying pieces are. So we've got the client satisfaction measures. We've got the annual sort of net promoter score measures that come through at an industry level. Um, and then we've got the day-to-day -day functions right down to those touch points where we're getting, you know, feedback per region, per branch, per banker, um, where we're able to see how that person is actually um, doing in terms of servicing um, the, their, their clients and, and, and the feedback that we get. And then in banking, I think another piece that we really um, focused on is there's a big change from, you know, it seems bizarre now, but only a couple of years ago, you know, a lot of the digitization hadn't yet happened. So it's been a period of about five to 10 years of strong digitization in banking, um, in banking services. And, and certainly what we'd be watching is how effectively have we used that technology and digitization of these processes and experiences to improve that customer experience. Um, so I think we're trying to measure it at a number of levels. We've tried to simplify it down to at least a common language for starters to get everybody aligned into, into one common language. Um, but there's still you know, a whole lot more for us to do. 
um, as we build upon improving these experiences substantially off the technology and digital enhancements. Yeah, and when it comes to those those metrics, um, are you how do you are, are you aligning those with uh, so let's say it's the NPS and customer satisfaction score? Are you running those uh, by themselves, or are you kind of combining those and, and measuring them and aligning those with with other other metrics? So we've got in in, in banking and in financial services, um, we've also overlaid a very broad framework against our uh, market conduct piece. So you've got a financial sector conduct authority from a regulatory point of view, which is looking at building on a framework, which is really treat customers fairly. And that has now evolved and grown into a multifaceted um, area where we're looking at everything from recruitment practices to um, sales practices to you know remuneration. It becomes a full total encompassing ambit that we cover in order to see how we're actually transforming our ability to be able to manage our customer experiences more effectively. But ultimately, what you'd be looking for is, is what I said right up front, is how are these improved client experiences and hopefully leading client experiences translating into gains in the market? Yeah, because that's what the C-suite cares about, is gains in the yeah. market. Yeah. So, Jeb, right back to your uh, wheelhouse. Um, can you tie customer experience to what the C-suite cares about? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we absolutely have to. And, and honestly, this really is the core to me of customer strategy, even to say that if we can't find a way to do this for our business and do it fast, we maybe ought to be looking for other work. I mean, I, I really think it's that, it's that critical for us to focus on this. Um, and the way I think about metrics, I, I'd, like, I'd like Anton's answer very much. And I would break it down a little bit to maybe four kinds of metrics. And I think there's financial metrics like incremental revenue, margin, some you know, strategic metrics around key wins and market share and engaging customers to be partners for new product introduction and new services introduction. Um, I think there's, there's trailing metrics, which I, I would argue tend to be things like NPS or customer loyalty index. Um, Maybe leaders, uh, uh, maybe leading indicators would be things around um, customer effort or measures of customer engagement, customer adoption. Um, so I, I think, and I think you can definitely break it down into into financial, strategic, leading, and trailing. And I think the more you do that, and the more you find ways, of what's what's been said very well earlier, to to use the right metrics for the right audience and use the right language for the right audience, you, you really can't uh, can't go wrong. But if you don't have that in place, I, I just don't think you can we can be successful. Yeah, Lewis, you kind of talked about the the right conversation with the right audience. Uh, what are your thoughts about this question? Yeah, I I just think it's so imperative that as we think about CX and. Those are, I like to tell everyone, those are two big words, right? But ultimately, there's a bunch of stuff that goes underneath that. That's that's really the drivers for the company. And one is like, and these have all been said, market share, um, revenue, influence, um, direct revenue, um, retention for customers, uh, and establishing yourself um, in your industry as being uh, an, an expert not just with a great product itself, but that experience either before or after when customers are, uh, have made that decision to engage with you from a product or a service perspective. And I think customer experience has a, a huge role, I think, post-sales 
that we often neglect um, because we get wrapped up in some of the other things. But that huge role in the post-sale aspect is always going to be about retention. And we have to have that top of mind, right? It's revenue influence. And then ultimately it is, how does that customer feel when they engage with you after they bought a product? And what does that mean to them? I mean, there is nothing more, you know, I talked to a lot of customers and there's, there's nothing more rewarding to hear when you talk to customers, when they say, I have a great experience with you and they don't mention the product. Of course, we know the product including it, included in that, but hearing that they had a great experience with you means you've done your job end to end, right? And for that one time, you can pat yourself on the back and move on to the next issue. Yeah, you're only as good as your last uh, conversation, right? So uh, it's it's keeping keeping yourself humble a little bit in that conversation. So, uh, but Lewis, I'll stick with you for another conversation or another question here. Is it all about metrics or where's that context um, and how is that important? No, so it's absolutely not all about metrics. I think metrics is just a piece of it. And honestly, sometimes what we do as CX professionals we use the metrics so heavily that we sometimes turn people off because we're pushing, 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 pushing the numbers. Well, I, I think there's an aspect of it that we often forget, which is you don't capture the true customer intent and true customer feelings completely in the metrics. So I like to use something, and this is what we heavily use today, called a customer feedback loop. And we gather feedback or voice of the customer from every single surface, every single touch point that we engage or customers engage with us, either well before they bought the product and long time standing customers. And we take that information and that is more meaningful sometimes than the actual metrics itself because you're hearing directly what customers are saying. You, 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 know, what they, you know what they say about your service, you know what they say about your product, they want to help influence the roadmap, of course, and we do that. We take that customer feedback loop and we we interject in with the engineering product organization and help influence the roadmap directly from what our customers are saying. And that's a key uh, point that we use. But not only that, it helps you from an influence perspective when you're talking at that C level. It isn't just about metrics because look, ultimately you engage a small fraction of your customers after they bought your product. So that's metrics. But what really is true telling, if you can get that end-to-end -end customer feedback from customers and package that in a way and make it meaningful to all of the cross-functional partners. Yeah. Ian, Ian, what are your thoughts on that? Are you sure you really want to ask me this question? I, I'm already, man. I, I, I want real conversations with. with so, so I, I just need permission to be blunt, Nick. Is that okay? Permission granted. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, um, this may yeah. or may not be our last LinkedIn Live, depending on. <laughs> I'm just going to be blunt. Um, yeah. Measurement, as I've said for many years, is, in my opinion, the most important competency of all when it comes to the subject of customer experience. However, regrettably, it is a competency that is misunderstood and is being done incredibly badly in general by organizations around the world. And this is a massive, massive issue because 
far too many organizations, and it doesn't matter which continent they're on, which industry they represent, are completely jumping to the wrong conclusion as a way as a result of the way they are measuring the experience right now. And much of that is um, very reflective of what has already been said, but it is this obsession with numbers, obsession with scores that is completely <clears throat> the wrong behavior. And as a result has led to far too many organizations completely missing the point. This is not primarily about a score. Capturing feedback, measuring what we do is all about determining the small number of things we need to focus on to have the greatest impact on improving customer perception and as a result, financial performance. That's why we should be measuring the experience, not to get a number to massage egos. And, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate in recent times to interview Fred Reichelt twice. And it's fascinating to interview the man who really created the obsession with numbers by creating NPS. But the man himself is he's really quite saddened by the way NPS has been turned into this score that people obsess about. But that's not the primary reason he created it. And there are still so many people that don't realize that he stopped calling it Net Promoter Score years ago. He calls it net promoter system for that very reason. But unfortunately, the damage has already been done. So I think there is a lot of work that this profession needs to do to further educate. And there's one final point I'll make and then I'll shut up. Um, Lorraine, who I know very well, she's a brilliant CX professional in her own right, um, has asked a brilliant question in the chat on average. But on an average day, how much time does a CX leader spend with C-level on education to make details relevant to corporate goals? You know, I, I think if we did a poll of everyone that is listening to this right now, uh, I would imagine that that is not a lot, um, which is not a very scientific response to the question. But, you know, far too little time is spent doing that. And I think far too little time has been spent by the C-suite getting an understanding of what we really need in terms of measuring the experience effectively. Preach over. <laughs> well, you, you can't stop now. I, I have a, I have follow-up questions. So what do the CX profession professionals do about it? What, so what's your advice? I think we, we do need whether leaders feel that they need to be educated or not. We need to find a way of bringing to life what customer experience measurement really means. Uh, and, and it brings us back to the science of CX, actually. And it brings us back to the competencies defined by the CXPA, because there are many members of the C-suite who do think that customer experience measurement is a net promoter score. Hmm. And, you know, well, that is a metric. But, you know, there is a competency all of its own called metrics, measurement and ROI. You know, what on earth is that? It's not just an NPS score. And it's this lack of understanding of the marriage, as I call it, between what we do, our processes, and the way the customer feels about it in the journey. And, and it's giving them a real understanding that getting control, a measurable control of what we do every day that enables the customer to interact with us, that's where we unlock the real magic. But 
you know, if I were to tell you I've shared knowledge with 20,000 people over the last nine years and less than 2% of them have represented the C-suite, um, that helps substantiate what Lorraine's question is really getting at. Now you get to stop for and take a take a quick drink and then I'll come back to you. <laughs> so, uh, Lewis, how do you align CX metrics with that revenue or with direct revenue impact? I mean, when it comes to customer effort, CSAT, NPS, and more. Yeah, so I agree holistically on everything uh, Ian said about metrics, and I think we have to be one careful about over rotating on the metrics themselves. That's it. And that's where a lot of CX professionals live in that medium ground of success and don't reach that like euphoria of success with CX because they rely too much on the metrics. And I'll, and I'll get to how this ties in in a second. So when we think about MPS and CES and CSTAT and you know those things they, they all have a place, don't get me wrong. They just need to be used effectively. But how you tie that in with revenue is all about the moments that matter with a customer. And how you recover from that will be key to what that looks like for future state in revenue from a customer. So should we focus on a customer gave us an NPS of 10 six months ago, or should we focus on the moments that matters today for customers. For me, it's more about the moments that matter today because we all know NPS trailing indicator anyway. So if you're not careful by the time you catch up, your customer's gone anyway. So it is all about focusing on the moments that matter today. Now, do I use metrics to help kind of tie that in? Absolutely. But the key focus for me is still about voice of the customer and the moments that matter for the customer at that time. And how do I make those moments that matter better for those customers? Yeah, well said. Jeb, back to you, man. Uh, do you do we need to not preach so much about customer experience, but maybe focus on those business outcomes, which you're uh, so passionate about? Yeah, I, maybe I, I, not I, as passionate about Ian as Ian, but you're still you pretty know, passionate. You know, I, I am. I, I like very much what Lewis said, and I love every single thing that that Ian said, and and may take it to the extreme in terms of, of bluntness. Actually, I I even think that the terminology CX or customer experience can actually be limiting uh, for all the reasons that we've just talked about over the last ten minutes. Um, I think we tend to come across too often as very metrics oriented, as we've said very well. And I also think we can come across as being too process oriented. Um, and, and I think both of those things need to be really focused on. Um, I do think that if we focus on customer outcomes, on biz customer business outcomes, actually measurable, demonstrable results, you, you really can't go wrong. Um, I mean, really, if you think about it this way, what, what's the point of tracking NPS and celebrating <clears throat> high NPS scores if you can't relate it to how you're actually engaging with customers, how you're helping them to achieve their desired business outcomes, and, and how, in ten, how, how in turn you turn that into real results for your own organization. Um, I, I do think that NPS and similar measures can, can give you a bit of runway, but, but really, honestly, just a bit of runway. Um, I think for really for sustained improvements and, and real competitive change or competitive advantage, you, you do need to focus on outcomes. And it's those outcomes that will then be 
you know, meaningful to your chief financial officer, your chief operating officer, and your chief and your, and your CEO. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Yeah, when you're not aligning those business outcomes, you're kind of pushing the rope uphill. It's, you're getting those incremental wins, but it's not aligning with business outcomes. So it's not strategic at all. Uh, at least that's what it sounds like to me. Um, um, so based off of that, how do you pri prioritize what you fix and when? To me, it's it's um, what I sort of touched on a little earlier. It's about having a framework in place that helps you make decisions about where to invest. Because at the end of the day, it's entirely about what you're investing on and and how and if you're not figuring out the right priorities you probably don't have the right kind of framework in place that helps you think through things about how we acquire customers how we retain customers how we help customers and measure their their adoption of our products and services how we encourage and see results in terms of customers being brand advocates for us um, how we uh, you know minimize the amount of effort or the um or maximize the ease of doing business with us. I mean, those are the kinds of things that you need to be focused on. You can measure every one of those things um, and, and take it to the extreme, uh, beyond the extreme, but, but really every one of those things has to come into play when you think about what the framework needs to be for how you operate day to day, how you present yourself to the rest of the organization. And as we said, especially for representing yourself to, to products or engineering, to sales, to marketing. Um, and you can't, if you if you can do all of those things, then you've got a real shot at, at defining what the priorities are in terms of what you do for second and third. Yeah. Lewis, it sounds like you are doing this really well. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah. Um, it is. I, I take it back to customer feedback loop, moments that matter, of course. And then, you know, brand where you are in the market space um, and how do you get there? And, the ultimate thing is making sure that you're getting outcomes for customers when they have those. And when I say moments that matter, these are critical touch points, meaning um, customers were confused about something or um, I didn't understand something about your product or the pricing or, or I, I'm just not sure about this. Those to me are all moments that matter. And from a customer experience perspective, that's where we've got to get in. And those are, truly places where we can then go back and communicate to the C-suite and our cross-functional partners that here are some key moments that matter. Here's what the business outcome would look like if we solved or touched on those moments that matter. And then here's a roadmap for what that looks like if we go tackle those. And then when it comes to having these customer experience goals, having business outcomes. Um, where's the line? Is the line, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw it to Anton. Is it, 
is the job done if if you just beat your competition and and the best in your industry or when is that job done no that that's a great question and actually while i was listening to to do a speak there um another example that we had recently about getting the job done and what is the job to be done is the real life example of of dealing with a pandemic and dealing with covid-19 impact of lockdown um so what that meant for us um is we were closing down branches where we had experienced you know had some of the initial phase, phases of of infection rates um we were monitoring every day almost by the hour the social media sentiment that was coming from people's frustration and really frustration our clients frustration out of on the one hand their own anxiety in terms of their personal safety and how do they carry on doing this banking but most most securely and on the other hand their financial outcomes as very many people suffered the impact of downsizing and and, and the likes so we had to communicate um debt relief programs across different products across different channels we had people rocking up at one particular branch only to find that it had closed because overnight you know there was an infection that had been been discovered and i think this stress tested our whole ability to be able to say well how do we empathize for what we want these customers to experience and bring the whole machinery to work together that was everything from the social listening center and that um real time live sentiment analysis of of what people were feeling and saying how did we translate that into how we could operationalize and communicate back to the market either in terms of our public relations and media statements on the one hand and on the other hand into our own branch networks and our contact centers preparing scripts overnight updating the websites so it became a very holistic piece around the whole organization rallying around doing the right thing and not chasing you know to 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 follow the thread of the conversation earlier on not chasing just a single metric um as as the desired outcome or in that moment not necessarily looking at how this beats the the competition and the job's not done when you when you've when you've beat the competition by any of these measures i think the job's done when you've when you've become as good as you can and i don't know if you ever get there but you strive to get better and better and better at being more meaningful in resonating with what this market is looking to have accomplished through in our instance through financial services yeah customer experience is constantly evolving and and it's constantly trying to uh competition is always going to try to find a way to to improve and get better too and uh customers expectations are, are constantly increasing but uh Ian what are your thoughts on that uh, again I I am nodding away vigorously at everything Anton's saying um and I love the expression that Anton used actually which which I think is an expression that more of us should be using with leaders and that is operationalizing customer experience you know that that it this does never end again for all of the reasons that we've just heard customer needs wants and expectations are changing all the time the environment that we live in is changing all the time which means that we've got to constantly be adapting the experience to better meet the needs and expectations of customers and you know the one one thing i want to just add to this is that um when we talk about when we've beaten the competition have we done it what we must do as a profession and i'm talking to the professionals now is empathize with the c suite we talk a lot about empathizing with customers and empathizing with employees and colleagues but do we as professionals empathize with the c suite enough 
because it's too easy for us to sit there and throw rocks at the C-suite for what we might consider to be decisions that are just not the right thing to do. But the C-suite themselves are under a huge amount of pressure from their bosses, shareholders. And, you know, the shareholders are demanding financial returns in the short term. And the C-suite are doing what they've been told. And, and we've got to empathize with that. It, it takes a huge amount of courage for a member of the C-suite to fight against the shareholder. And when you look at some of the best examples of customer-centric organizations, they were created that way. But transforming legacy businesses to become sustainably customer-centric takes a huge amount of courage when you're at that top level. And that's why it's more and more important for us to show the C-suite that we're not there to humiliate them. We're not there to make their lives difficult. We're there to help them. We're there to enable them to achieve what they've been asked to do by the shareholder. Um, and so I think it's really important as a CX community globally that we become empathetic, not just to the customer and the employee, but to the C-suite and the shareholder as well. Yeah, that's that's a lot of pressure. And I think empathy is definitely important too to the customer and and. Uh, everyone else, but um, it's a good point to bringing it back to to the C-suite and providing them empathy. But just as important, which we've talked about through, throughout this entire time, is bringing data and ways to fix their problems along with uh, giving them empathy. So, Jeb, what doesn't the C-suite want to talk about when it comes to customer experience? Um, quite a lot, actually, as it turns out. Um, I, I, I think that it's pretty clear that they don't want to hear about emotions or feelings. And, and I think you can also say that they don't want to hear about process. And we've kind of covered a lot of this. Um, and, and honestly, they don't want to talk about metrics that don't clearly relate to the business results that they, they need to have and, and see um, as sustaining the business. Um, and on the process side of that, I, I, I think, and, and maybe this is heresy for, for many people on this call, but I think that while journey mapping and, and generally promoting customer experience is great, I could argue that, that there maybe should be some sort of a broader term that, that transcends what a lot of us think about as customer experience. But it has to be seen as a means to an end. Um, it's not all about the process. The process is a means to an end. And that means to an end kind of goes back to what I was saying before. And that is it's about measurable business results for your customer and then finding the way or putting the strategy in place to to um, capitalize on on that customer success for your own business. Yeah, I I feel like there's there's been a, a big theme throughout this entire talk, and we still got a, a little bit of time to go. But what is all about um, you know delivering on on the 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 facts versus the feelings and and business outcomes. So I'm going to push it over to Ian now. Um, how important is it to have the the chief customer officer kind of filter the emotion because there's a lot of passion and customer experience, but filter it back to the to actionable insights. Um, I think it is a vital role of a CCO, but to a degree, it's a vital role of everyone. But filtering the emotion is very important because what we mustn't allow is for the conversation around emotion to veer towards the negative you know, ultimately, this needs to be done in a balanced 
way. And I think one of the challenges that I've observed over the last couple of years is that coming back to this point about our obsession with metrics, we've become so reliant on big quantitative studies, big quantitative surveys where we are pushing surveys to customers mm -hmm. to get their feedback. We've forgotten, and I'm using the generalization of we, we've forgotten that our organizations are receiving valuable insight every single second of every day through our contact centers, through day-to-day -day contact with other functions, through social media. And it's the distillation of all of that information that should be being used to demonstrate how customers feel about the organization. And we've probably all been in a scenario where a CEO has seen one negative tweet and totally overreacted to one thing that they've seen. But that typically happens when they're not receiving good collated information that allows them to understand how customers are feeling across the board. There are always going to be outliers of emotion, but we must combine all sources of customer feedback, not just those big quantitative surveys. And we need to make sure that we don't just hear about the ugly, but we hear about the good as well. And that it's that balanced understanding that allows us to draw a conclusion. Yeah. And I'll stick with you on, on the next question too. Um, so I think everybody, every organization at least should have a customer experience strategy. But do you believe that every department should also have a, a CX strategy that kind of pushes down? It's a very good question. Um, regrettably, far too few organizations still to this day have a strategy at all. Um, I think it is, it, I, I often have to reference the ideal world, which we know doesn't exist. But in an ideal world, the organization should have defined its strategy at the top what I call an overarching customer experience strategy that cascades down. The danger of strategy being developed departmentally or by business unit is that they're created in isolation, in isolation of other departments, other functions, and, and it doesn't align to the overarching objectives of the organization. And most businesses, however many departments or business units there happen to be, Customers can interact across all of them. And if they can interact across all of them, but you've got all of these inter independent strategies, it's no wonder that customers end up having so many random experiences. Um, it, it is absolutely right if there is no strategy at all for a department to potentially champion it. But what they mustn't do is champion it just for their own little bubble and forget about the rest of the organization. Yeah, you're totally right. When when there's different departments, the challenge uh, in different uh, goals, the, the challenge is, is that the customer only sees you as one company. And uh, kind of going back to the customer experience strategy, though, is where is where would there be resistance when when there is that that push down of of that strategy? You said there's there's separate departments, but anything else you want to add to that on the resistance side? Um, I, I think resistance comes largely from the, the, the general lack of understanding in the first place as to what a customer experience strategy actually is. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that lack of understanding of what it is, 
very often there is a, a, an unspoken view that, well, what do we need one for? You know, we, we've got a business strategy. What do we need a customer experience strategy for? Um, and that, to a degree, again, comes back to this lack of education, of understanding what I call the strategic balance between what the business wants and what the customer wants. That The other um, interesting source of resistance is a lack of insight, a lack of understanding as to what the fundamental needs, wants and expectations of the customer are in the first place. Uh, and so defining what we want the experience to be, well, well people just don't, don't know how to define it. So it, it, this is less about resistance. It's more about a lack of information, a lack of knowledge. Uh, uh, and that comes back to why very often senior leaders, members of the C-suite don't talk about this stuff because they don't have the information. And if they don't have the information, well, it's not a problem. Uh, and, you know, I, I talk about um, phases of customer experience readiness. The first phase being the acknowledge phase, which not politically correctly, I call the alcoholic phase, but because this is where leaders don't want to admit there's a problem. And far too often, there are organizations and members of the C-suite who are thinking, well, what, what do we need to worry about customer experience for? We do it already. We've been doing it for years. We've got CRM. What are we worrying about this for? You know, I'm sure the C-suite at Toys R Us was saying that for many years before they ceased to exist. But you know, that these that this is why I know I keep banging on about the need for continuing education. But you know, just because you sit on the C-suite doesn't mean you know it all. Well said. Uh, another passionate. Uh, rant from from Ian. I, I love it. <laughs> I, I knew I had you on the on the panel for a reason. Uh, so, Lewis, how do you make that case? He he talks about uh, communication. He talks about a bunch of stuff. But what else do you want to add to that? Yeah. So it, it starts at the top, and he mentioned also you know being aligned on the goals. So it starts at the very top of when you're building a, a, your strategy for the company. Customer experience needs to be in that core strategy. And then as you're trickling down, each particular piece or, or organization as it aligns to that strategy also needs to represent their piece of, of the customer experience as it ties into the overall larger strategy. So as long as they're tied into the overall larger strategy, then you don't have to worry about someone growing, going rogue and doing something totally different in another direction. And I think this is where the customer experience organization does come in because as you find your pieces in the overall company strategy, then it's up to you to go work with those different organizations and get them bought into how they influence that overall customer strategy at the company level and how their piece influences what they're doing how does their piece give them better outcomes and then how does that influence or how does that transition into a better experience overall for the company from a financial perspective and to the customer from a use case perspective as i'm using your company for products and services so it starts at the top every organization needs to be bought into that but they also have to have a tie-in and you, as the customer experience leader, you have to own that piece and make sure that they're tied into the overall customer experience strategy as it ties into the company strategy. 
And I don't mean your customer experience strategy. I mean the company strategy. Because if you're unified on one front at the company level, it's a lot easier to get all of the different organizations to buy into those pieces. Yeah, absolutely. So Anton, our our meeting customer ex, uh, experience is driven by people, process, and technology, or or is there more than that? I think there's definitely more. I mean, it's a great place to start. Those three are really, really critical. But when you think of, you know, I try and think of a brand and a brand promise, and that brand promise has got to be something that initially, you know, appeals to somebody in terms of what you stand for and what it is that you're promising to experience. And then over a period of time, it's going to be, you know, how does that brand promise stack up to how somebody actually experiences it and that is more than just those three as important as those three are it really becomes how everything comes together um so so certainly i think how we see it is people technology process are critical mm -hmm. in terms of driving this piece but in the absence of that cohesive strategy in the absence of a culture that actually has everybody aligned to doing the right thing understanding how their little piece pulls in the same direction of achieving this beautiful brand love, um, which in its own right then ultimately results in the in the in those business outcomes. So I think it's I think it's a lot more, and I really love the the the, the thread of conversation just before this one because it's it's exactly how we've got to build upon that. It's 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 how you make sense of what you stand for. It's how any customer experiences you across all the touch points in every instance. What that translates to in the feelings. And then their behaviors as a, as a result. And you can't just rely on, you know, the tech program or the hiring strategy or some other process to fix that. It's really how that all fits together um, in, in, in a real client-centered culture to do the right thing um, in the market and to get better and better and better at being able to do that more effectively. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, you talked about beautiful brands uh you could talk about a uh, beautiful brand love uh the book focused on business outcomes i, I see that in in the future of of anton <laughs> uh so uh lewis let me focus on uh the employees for a minute uh because can't talk about customer experience without not talking about any employee experience so how should companies be asking employees to help improve that customer experience yeah, so it, it starts with, um, and Anton hit a piece of it, uh, it starts with every employee knowing where they fit in the company, where they tie into the strategy and the goals, and um, and then how, are, how does your piece make our customer's journey um, a smooth process? So it is clearly defining like where, what your role is, how does it tie in? Uh, where does it fit in with the strategy and, and, and the company direction? And then it's all about um, hiring, and, and I, this is controversial in a way, but hiring people that are truly passionate mm. about customer outcomes and customers having great experiences along the way. Um, and those are like key things. Um, and then the other piece is making sure your folks don't get wrapped around the metrics because you can come in and say, well, my NPS is 60. I, I'm, I'm happy with that. It's okay. And and folks will rest on those laurels, right? But let's face it, like the numbers are just telling a piece of the story. So what we need to get people bought in is seeing the rest of that story, which is reading the customer comments, 
understanding the customer pain points, taking a look at some of the moments that matter for customers, um, being open and candid when they see something, say something. Yeah, you, you touched about you touched a little bit about the the passion and, and um, working your way through that of of finding the right people that are on the bus. So, do you believe that that should be one of the conversations or or questions when you're interviewing uh, in, in the HR department uh, around how excited of, of, of are you about customer experience? Absolutely, absolutely, it should be at. If, if it's not now, this I could be slightly biased, but if it's not one of the most important questions, it should definitely be in the top three. I mean, after all, you're bringing someone into your company and you're now trusting them with your valued customers that cost you money to get in the first place and cost you even more money if you had to go replace them. So you really want someone who wants to be in your company and wants to make sure that your customer is having a good experience as they're engaged with you. I love that. Uh, Jeb, anything you want to add to that? Um, yeah, a couple of things. And then maybe even it goes back to the, to the prior conversation. I, I think there's a question. I think, I think there's two really critical things that, that it's our job to help the company see clearly and execute on. One, one is that, that you, if you talk about your customers as, your, as maybe your, the most critical asset the company has, and you think about customers as an asset, I think that helps overcome some of the resistance. We talked about resistance earlier. I think the other thing that is maybe even arguably the most critical capability that we as customer strategy or customer experience um, leaders need to have in our, in our toolkit is the ability to lead by influence. I think oftentimes, I mean, I see many times people who in this, in this profession get frustrated, stop making progress, you know, real, come, to, come to some sort of realization that they're just not going to get from here to there yet. Um, and, and that's because they're, they're waiting for the organization to, to give them organizational authority. And that will honestly likely never happen. Um, what you need to do instead is have the right sort of tools that you can bring to bear that give you inf influence uh, and leadership through influence. And, and you, you have to hire to that. Um, I guess the, the other thing I'd like to say in terms of employees, um, I would say the voice of the employee is almost, or maybe I should actually say is, is just as important as the voice of the customer. Um, and I mean, it's your employees, whether you call them front office employees or back office employees is meaningless. Your employees who are engaging or maybe not engaging with your customers that will actually make the difference for you. Um, I would also say that it's oftentimes the employee's um, experience as the mirror image of your customer's experience. I, I've seen that time and time again. Um, case in point, when your employees are feeling the pain of the organization not being easy to do business with, it's almost always the same exact reasons why your customers are suffering and, and why those customers may ultimately defect. Um, and, and I think the last thing I'll say on this is that your, um, your employees should be even, even from, I mean, certainly for large scale businesses at the enterprise level, but certainly for mid-market as well, your employees at the end of the day are the best echo chamber that your organization can have in terms of advocating for your brand. Yeah, no, that, that's great. 
the uh, the old analogy set that I, I like to use as a married guy is if mama ain't happy and nobody happy. And I, I think the same is true with your employees, though, right? It, is if your employees are not happy, they're they're a direct reflection to uh, how they're going to treat your your customers. So, uh, with that um, uh, analogy, I'm going to actually flip it over because I could keep asking you guys questions all day, but that's not fair to uh, the the uh, great listeners that we have here. So. Uh, Gib, do you want to jump back in and, and maybe throw a few questions on the board and, and get this thing started? Yeah, absolutely. I've been uh, nodding along, laughing along uh, to this discussion as well. So really, really enjoyed it. I know the audience has as well. We've got a few questions uh, here. The first one I want to bring up is from uh, Munir, who asks, what are some obstacles for CX teams to be aligned with sales and marketing? It seems that sales and marketing is so heads down in lead generation. So I don't know who wants to wants to take that one, but would love your uh, your thoughts on this one. Um, I don't mind taking it if, if um, no one else is biting immediately. Um, and the reason why I will take it is um, just coincidentally, among other things, I do quite a lot of work with the Chartered Institute of Marketing in the UK. And marketers are a community who increasingly are recognizing that customer experience, whilst it has been part of the marketing curriculum, so to speak, there is a lack of understanding as to what customer experience really is and how it aligns to marketing. And I think it comes back to what I said right at the beginning of the conversation about that principle of find, win, keep. Because traditionally, marketing, sales and marketing functions have been almost entirely focused on determining how to fill the funnel, you know, how to find new business and win that business. And they've had such a powerful role because we focused so much on the beginning of that funnel. But where the focus has tended to tail away is how to keep it for as long as possible. And part of the problem is that sales and marketing have spent so much time trying to determine a good segmentation strategy to win business. There hasn't been a clear enough understanding of how they connect to the other parts of the organization that deliver that end-to-end -end customer journey. And one of the things that I teach is the importance of getting a business to almost visualize itself as a chain of events. And every single employee, every team, every department is a link in a metaphorical chain that enables customers to interact with your products and services. Unless those links in the chain are connected and everyone understands their role, the whole thing breaks down. And unfortunately, too often, sales and marketing functions, they're very clearly a link, but it's a link that's not being effectively connected to other parts of the chain. So this once again demonstrates why one of the very important underlying principles of customer experience is collaboration. You know, everything that we do as a profession needs to be about bringing people together cross-functional collaboration because we deliver the experience together not separately and if we can get functions understanding how they come together then we should be able to find win and keep yeah 
Ian, great insights. And I, I want to be able to turn the spotlight on Nick since he's done such a great job of answer, uh, asking the questions. Nick, any thoughts here on this uh, question around, uh, you know, getting buy-in from your sales and marketing or anything you want to add to what, what Ian said? Well, what is the benefit? Why should I care? And when I'm in customer or when I'm in sales and marketing, it's in it's it's in every department. It's it's make me care. Why should I care when it comes to customer experience and how do I improve what I'm doing? And if you can come back and tell me as a sales and marketing professional, why what what I'm doing is making a difference or, hey, the the way that I'm saying it uh, in sales is maybe I should change it a little bit different, have a different perspective or or just change the way I, I do marketing. But it better improve the way that I'm going to meet my objective because it's the same thing as is doing this with with the C-suite is if you're not going to help me solve my objectives or make me do it um, uh, faster, easier, or pre, uh, also create a better experience, then uh, I, I would say that I'm just going to, I don't, I don't, for all the people that watch football, college football, as I call it the Heisman, where it's like you keep them at arm's distance and you, you're just, you just say yes, okay, and then you don't really do anything about it. And but if you actually show them why they should care, obviously you have to do, you have to have data and you have to do storytelling and have context behind it. But if not, then uh, you you're, it's going to be a really tough uh, really tough go. And the way my analogy earlier was pushing the rope uphill. So uh, focus on a lot of those things that are going to make people care instead of just trying to meet your objective. Yeah. Great, great point. Uh, we we had another question that come in. I think is interesting because we've been talking about getting this um, this C uh, level buy in. Uh, this person asks, "What about scalability? I can get buy in from my direct report, but what about that next level where I have no touch points? How can we get buy in on a long bottom up ladder?" Uh, so, uh, Anton, Jeb, you want to take that one? Jeb's got it. Jeb's sure. got it. Okay, I'll take it. Thank you. Um, yeah, I I think it's it's entirely about how your job is defined and and that's in large part frankly up up to you or up to me up to us um and, and i really think that the job of a of a cx professional cx leader as I, I sort of said it before is 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 a change agent is somebody who drives collaboration um somebody who really drives change through exercising influence without necessarily the organizational authority so i i think I think you've got a problem if you're if you're stuck at not being able to get around or past or through your immediate supervisor, and that and that to me is symptomatic of a of a pretty serious situation that you need to sort of step back and and rethink. Is this really what my role is about? How am I going to make change if it's if it is that that's that's probably not going to not going to work out for for the organization. Yeah, great point. Uh, great points, Jeb. We got got a really great question uh, here in the chat that I want to bring in from from Ravindra. Uh, Ravindra says, "How does a multi-location, multi-country organization successfully execute CX initiatives, especially when initiatives aren't local but are decided at a corporate level? Uh, local priorities impact execution of such initiatives. Hence, this question." Really fascinating question, Ravinder. Thanks for asking that. Is there anyone who wants to raise their hand to uh, to take this one? Ian, you want to you want to you want to take this one? I mean, I'll, I'll respond just as someone who has worked in many environments like this um, in multiple industries, actually. And and this is going to sound a little bit like a consulting answer to the question um, because it does depend. 
uh, Ravindra. It depends on the organization, the industry and its level of maturity. Um, but the what, the bigger the organization, the more diverse it is, the more dispersed it is, the more important it becomes to go step by step. Too many organizations are trying to solve world hunger uh, and they realize too quickly that it's just too difficult. And so there is a risk that it will come to a, a, a juddering halt because nothing seems to happen. It's very important in my experience in a very large multinational, multi-site organization to start small and build. If there is a desire to do this, then start where either the need is greatest or the desire to transform is greatest. You've got the greatest buy-in and use that small case study to then start to expand across the organization. Starting at the very top and cascading down is, is actually quite rare and quite unusual. Um, and so I would say that you've got to um, set expectation as to how long this takes. This is a long-term strategy, but let's go step by step at a pace the organization can, can accommodate, start small and work outwards from there. Yeah, I love what you said, Ian. Start where either the need or the desire are greatest. I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Anybody else want to jump in on that one? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in if I may. Um, yeah, I, I think there's, I, I love starting small and building kind of proof points or, or case studies. I would also say there's a bit of a trick to it that I found. And the trick is, it turns out that most organizations, even the ones that are internally competitive with, with you know, amongst one another, have a pretty substantial appetite for understanding what the best practices and lessons learned are by those that they may be internally competitive with. So I think the, the, maybe the starting point, this is really, I suppose, where the trick is, is to start to, to facilitate a dialogue, um, bring organizations together across the company, whether it's, a, whether it's really both cross line of business and cross geography, to, to facilitate a conversation about who's doing what and give everybody a platform for describing what they're doing and why it might be a best practice or what some of their painful lessons learned are. And that starts a dialogue, it starts to build credibility and it starts to create a more collaborative atmosphere. Yeah, uh, Jeb, Jeb, I love that. And uh, one, I'm just sort of scanning the comments here. I'm seeing a few comments that are generally or broadly focused on the sort of the role of or the intersection between CX and AI. So want to give uh, our panelists just some some space to talk about that. I mean, what, what is the role of the CX professional you know, as they're engaging with the C-suite and, and having conversations about, about AI? So I, I'm happy to start. Um, I, I think we've, um, we, we've got caught in this wheel of um, technology has to solve all problems. Now, I do believe there's a, there's a time and a place, and I believe AI has a future in CX, absolutely. But I think you have to find that balance of what makes sense from human touch and what makes sense from an AI perspective. And, and, and there needs to be a strategy around that as well. 
So you should develop a roadmap. So if you've done the right things at the C-suite and you have a good strategy that you're going to go execute on from a CX perspective, now is it time, now is your time to look at from a CX perspective in-house, what am I going to go solve for with process? What am I going to go solve for with a human touch? What am I going to go solve for with technology or AI? And you should have a blend or a mix of those. And they'll be higher and lower at different times, depending on where you're at on the strategy. But there needs to be a good mix. But one won't be the all and the everything. And neither will the human touch. I think we've gone are the days where the human touch solves all problems. Because we're living in a now generation where customers want it now. And they want it. They want it not just now. They wanted it yesterday. In other words, they want you to be ahead of them when when they come in to engage with you. They want you to already meet them in the product. They uh, they want you to know the problems they're facing, and they want you to have an insight into what challenges. Um, how do you get ahead of those? So, um, some of that can be done with AI, and some of it still needs to be done with a with a with a human touch. And there needs to be a good balance of that. And it'll be different depending on where you're at in the strategy. Yeah, let me just touch on that because I think it's important. I, I love what Lewis is saying. I think when it comes to AI, it's not the end all be all, and either is the is the is the employee. I, I mean, finding ways to automate the routine and fix a lot of those pain points on the back end. So when you need to have those crucial conversations with the with the customer, you can have that person. Um, but you need to figure out ways to to do password resets when inside the contact center. Contact center, the employee is the is the largest um, expense inside the contact center. So find ways to drive efficiencies for those people. And if it's it's AI and 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 um, uh, trying to find ways to create hybrids for those contact center agents, uh, then do that. It's it's not all about uh, one or the other. I think you need to have a healthy blend, like Lewis said. Yeah, great thoughts. Anton, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get very excited by the prospect of, of AI and, and, and how it can actually be used um, ultimately. And I just think of, you know, data, data analytics on the one hand being, you know, predictive, but more importantly, preventative. You know, so all of those pieces around using AI to be able to intervene ahead of a problem actually occurring can actually have massive impact in terms of a client experience um, with a brand over time. Um, and then even just, you know, nudges, notifications, alerts, um, there's an awful lot of AI and, and, and the data and the use of data in being able to land a message, you know, at the right time with the right tone on the right platform. And AI has got a huge role to play in being able to help us make better sense of that more effectively. Um, but I'd agree, you know, you can't lose the human touch. You can't surrender everything just to technology. These must be tools that help us. Um, achieve, um, you know, a better experience with, with our base. But I can see that the role of AI can can play in terms of making the, 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 the client experience a much better one. Yeah. Uh, Anton, gr great thoughts. And I'm just sort of scanning, scanning the comments and just sort of marveling at the number of comments that we've had around uh, just agreeing, um, great discussion, um, Nick is doing a great, great job as host. Um, a lot of well said and a lot of agreement. Um, you know, I think it's notable that this has been a 90 minute uh, broadcast.
and we're still having a extremely high viewership uh, that's happening right now. So I think it speaks to um, the interest in the topic as well as y'all's expertise um, in sharing your insights. So thank you all for contributing to this discussion. Nick, fantastic job of hosting. Uh, kudos, really well done. I know some folks may have some interest in learning more about you uh, or as well as about your podcast. So where can, uh, where can they learn more about you? Yeah, so I, I appreciate that. And um, I, I've had a blast uh, to, to just start there. And, and I, I want to say thanks to, to the panelists and to, the, to everybody who's, who's joined. Um, uh, what an opportunity to, to get together these uh, awesome crew of people, these experts to, to share and talk about something so important. So uh, the Press One for Nick podcast, yeah, you can go to the pressoneforneck.com. Uh, and uh, you can also go to LinkedIn and type in Press One for Nick. And uh, yeah, we, we interview customer service and customer experience professionals uh, like the panelists you have here. Um, everybody except Anton, I'm going to have to pull his arm and and uh, get him on the podcast. But um, and, and feel free to jump on, connect with me. And I, I highly suggest you to also connect with these experts. Like these guys have a ton of thought leadership and have a lot to say um, and, and are valuable resources uh, for you. So uh, please connect with these guys too. Yeah, I believe uh, we've had so many comments that, they, that, that, that this has actually sort of aged out of my stream. But we posted the link um, earlier to your Twitter, uh, Ian, to your Twitter as well. But yeah, connect with these great gentlemen on social media. Thank you all for a great discussion today. Really appreciate each of you. Thank you so much, Gabe, as well, for hosting it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so uh, not to be, be remiss if I did not mention, uh, we hope you'll join us this coming Friday as we reveal our CXPA Emerging Leader Awards or the first inaugural uh, class of Emerging Leader Award winners. That's happening this coming Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So we really hope that you'll uh, get a chance to join us. Thanks for sticking around with us, hanging out with us. Thanks to all the panelists, all of you for asking great questions. Hope to see you again here next Friday. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources. Hey listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.